And so let's go over to Lamentations chapter 4. And, and what I've learned, because I'm kind of learning as I'm getting older, okay, so much of my life is I want to be uh, pleasing to Him. I, I want to be usable in His hands. And I just want to see people get saved. I want to see my family extended family gets saved. I mean, many of you here, you have unsaved loved ones and that just burns in your heart. And my encouragement to you is just to keep seeking the Lord. You know, you don't have to, you know, just keep trying to please God and loving them, loving them. And you watch, in time, God's gonna get a hold of their hearts. And so here in Lamentations 4, I was reminded as as we get into this, you know, funeral dirge really is what it is. Lamentations written by the prophet Jeremiah after Jerusalem had been, you know, devastated by the Babylonians in 586 BC. Lamentations here is a book that basically, you know, describes the, the, the heartache of Jeremiah and what had happened to Jerusalem. I was thinking of that passage in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, where it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so, you know, let me ask you a question. You know, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, do all people who mourn eventually receive comfort? The answer is no, huh? There are many people who mourn who will never be comforted. Only God's people will be comforted. Believers will be comforted. And and the reason for that is because ultimately we are those who not only mourn over our suffering, but we mourn over our sins. And that's kind of what Lamentations is. Yes, there's a mourning over the suffering. I mean, Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet and he saw the way that they were, they just, they suffered. We're gonna see as much as, as possibly they could ever experience. But they didn't just mourn over their suffering and the consequences of their sin. They mourned over their sin. And when we come to that place, then we come to a really good place. It's there that you get saved. And it's there that you get sanctified. And so this was the intention of lamentations, the, the, the suffering, but the, 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 the lamentation, not only for the suffering, but also the sin. Now, real quick, just in case you haven't been here in lamentations, we've seen in this short book of the Bible, chapters one through four are comprised of what's called an acrostic. And so chapter 1 and 2, they have 22 verses. They coincide with the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. You know, the English language has, what, 26 letters, right? So the Hebrews, they have 22. And so each verse starts with the the next letter, A, B, C, D. So each verse, and so chapters 1, chapters 2. Chapter 3 has 66 verses because every three verses they change the letter. Chapter 4, again, 22 verses. It's an acrostic, and, but chapter 5 doesn't. So, you know, as I've mentioned before, the reason they would use this method in writing is because they wanted the people to memorize this book. And it's an amazing thing when I think about it because, wow, this book is a really, really tough book. 
And so chapter 5, we're going to see, is not an acrostic, but it's still worthy of memory. Now, uh, before we dive in, I did want to just give you a quick outline because I think it's helpful to kind of give you the big message. Uh, Charles Ryrie was an American Bible scholar, Christian theologian. Um, And just in case, let me just say this real quick, because sometimes, you know, people will pick up on things. Uh, There's a great study Bible. It's called the Charles Ryrie Study Bible. And uh, Calvary Chapel pastors, they, they all have to have one, you know, because so much of his theology is just right where we're at. It's insightful and it's accurate in his theology. So Charles Ryrie, he's a great theologian. Anyways, um, he gave us a good outline on Lamentations. Uh, chapter 1 is the desolation of Jerusalem. Chapter 2, the destruction of Jerusalem. Chapter 3, the distraught prophet. Chapter 4, which is what we're going to get in tonight, we're going to see the defeated people of Jerusalem. We'll see the siege of the city in verses 1 through 12, the reasons for the siege in verses 13 through 20, and the hope for the future in verses 21 through 22. And then the last chapter, Lamentations chapter 5, we see the prayer for the people and verses 1 through 18, predominantly confession. And then we close in verses 19 through 22 with petition. Okay? So Lamentations chapter 4, here we go. It says in verse 1, how the gold has become dim. How change the fine gold. The stones of the sanctuary are scattered at the head of every street. Now, some people believe that he's talking about the, the young men. And so that is a possibility. Others believe he's talking literally about the gold. And especially because he mentions there in verse 1, the stones of the sanctuary. And so when the Babylonians came in, believe you me, they took all the gold. According to 1 Kings chapter 4 through 10, the temple contained 1,086 talents of gold. That would be 34 tons of gold that was taken away from Jerusalem. It would be worth, I think, close to $217 million in today's prices. It contributed to half the known gold supply back then. And so, you know, here we see the gold is taken away. Um, The stones, he says, are scattered. So much gold. Imagine, all taken away. But here's the thing, when a nation or even when a people comes to their senses, we realize that gold is not the most valuable asset. What's the most valuable asset? The future generation, the future generation. And that's what we see next in verse two. It says the precious sons of Zion, valuable as fine gold, how they are regarded now as clay pots, the the work of the hands of the potter. And it's an interesting passage, especially when you consider the fact that really at the end of the day, we're all clay pots. But more than likely, this is a derogatory statement. Clay was common. Everyone had clay. It was easily broken. And if you broke a clay pot, which was easy to do, they just threw it away because it was absolutely insignificant and so when you think of the precious sons of zion and again remember i told you the young people are the future they're the 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 future of the nation and so now here we see they're despised they're dead and they're discarded 
And, and what Jeremiah is saying is, is this is what sin does. You know, the gold of the temple is taken away, the stones are thrown down, and the young men, the sons of these families, are, are all now dead, despised, and discarded. Verse 3, it says, Even the jackals present their breasts to nurse their young, but the daughter of my people is cruel like ostriches in the wilderness. Now, now there in verse 3 where it says the, the jackals, if you look at the King James Version, it says sea monsters. Interesting. Even the sea monsters. The, the Hebrew word, ton, it's also translated whales. It's translated serpents. But you want to know what it's mostly translated? It's mostly translated dragons. Dragons. Now, that's an interesting thing. You know, Dr. Henry Morris believes it to be in reference to dinosaurs. And he really makes a, a good point for it here. You know, if, if you get a chance, I want to encourage you. It's another great study Bible he has. It's called the Defender Study Bible. I love that one. But um, he right here talks about how, you know, this is more than likely in reference to, to dinosaurs. When the King James Version was written back in 1611, those uh, terms were still used in the literature of those days because they believed in, you know, these dragons, these uh, sea monsters, right? But the main point here, really, at the end of the day, verse 3, whether it's jackals or sea monsters, or dragons, the main point of verse 3 is that even the most hideous beast nurse their children. But the children of Israel, their moms, didn't take care of their children. That's how bad it was. And he compares the moms here to ostriches in the wilderness. Now, they had... The concept, if you read Job 39, 13 through 18, uh, it talks about the ostriches, you know, just putting the egg there, you know, and not even really protecting it. And so not even thinking someone can come and step on the egg. And, you know, it says she treats her young harshly as though they were not hers. And so basically what the Lord is saying, the, the gold from the temple is gone. 34 tons of gold is is gone, the temple is gone, the stones are on the floor, the young men are, 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 are dead, discarded. Imagine that, these dead bodies just thrown away like clay pots, insignificant, despised, and the, and the moms wouldn't even nurse their children when even the sea monsters do that. And so basically he's saying it's a, it's a really bad thing what sin does. This is what sin does. Verse four, the, the tongue of the infant clings to the roof of its mouth. Picture that baby there and his tongue is clinging to its mouth for thirst. The young children ask for bread, but no one you know, breaks it for them. You know, no one gives them a piece of bread. Th those who ate delicacies are, are desolate in the streets. Imagine that, that one time they're eating delicacies. They're having... Whatever, filet mignon. I was going to say caviar, but they didn't eat seafood like that. So, you know, there they are. Those who were brought up in scarlet. You know, they had the fancy clothes. I was thinking about, you know, Louis Vuitton. Uh, this guy, this designer. 
you know, the fancy clothes. I think he has a purse uh, that costs $150,000. Who would own a purse that costs that much? But, you know, these, this, is what, this is what these ladies had, the fancy food, the fancy clothes. Now it says they embrace ash heaps. They embrace filthy dunghills. This is the contrast that took place there in Jerusalem, the punishment of the iniquity, it says in verse 6, of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment with no hand to help her. And so this is heavy. You know, I, I speak to myself and, you know, I'm hopefully you're hearing me as well, that we have to, you know, come to church, huddle together, go home and just try to live a life that is pleasing to God. A life, because anything else is sin. Because this is what sin does. You see right here, and we know better. Verse six, why is the punishment of the daughter of his people, why is the punishment of the, the Jews there in Jerusalem greater than the punishment of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah? And the answer is because they knew better and because of the profound suffering and prolonged torture that the Jews would experience. And so, you know, you know, we as a church, you know, we know better. We know we're not supposed to be mean to people. We know we're not supposed to, whatever, look at that, you know, pornography. We know that we're not supposed to go out and get drunk and high and all that kind of stuff. We know that. You know, we know so much that we read in the Bible, the, the things that we're supposed to do, the things we're not supposed to do. So if we go on and we continue in and persistent, resistant, assistant sin, then our punishment will be greater. And, and it was greater for the Jews than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah because it wasn't just an instant. When Sodom and Gomorrah got, they got wiped out, it was just an instant, boom, fire and brimstone, rain down, you know, but, but for the Jews, when they went through this, and you read different things about how long the siege was, at least 18 months of being surrounded by the Babylonians and all that took place during then, and then the torture that took place afterwards, that's, that, that's worse, right? I mean, most people would prefer an instant death than starving to death. Most of us, we prefer our own death than to see our children's death. And this is why it was worse for, for the Jews. Why, Lord? Well, they had the revelation. They had the so-called relation with God. Jesus said this in Luke twelve forty-seven through 48, and that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes, but he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask more. And so, you know, we're, 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 the more we learn, the more we're accountable. Now, I've talked to people and they said, okay, then I'm not going to learn anymore after <laughs> No, learn and just obey. Take it in because that seed is powerful. Verse seven, it says, her, her Nazarites, 
Now, this is not from the city of Nazareth, just in case you're wondering. It's a Hebrew word that's just talking about the nobles and the consecrated ones. He says, her Nazarites were brighter than snow and whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than rubies, like sapphire in their appearance. In other words, these are people, and I don't know where they got their stuff from. We know nowadays if you go to Israel, you can get like the, the uh, what's it called? The Avar, what's the name of that makeup in Israel? Ahava, yeah, so maybe they use stuff like that. All I know is that their complexion, their appearance was beautiful. They had rosy cheeks, um, but it says in verse eight, now their appearance is blacker than suit. They go unrecognized in the streets. Their skin clings to their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger, for these pine away, stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. It's interesting, the Hebrew word translated pine away, it literally means flowing. It literally means flowing. That's an interesting thing because I think some say it's a play on words. Because for the Jews, the promise was always, I will send you, you I, will, I promise you a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, it's just going to be flowing. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to be flowing. You know, it's just a beautiful life. But now they're, they're pining away. Same Hebrew word, but now used in a completely different. And what we find is that that's just the way it works. You know, you, you have a heart for God. You want to obey God. You want to honor him. You want to take that word into a heart that's right. Then you will live in a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, it's a beautiful blessing. God will split open the skies and lavish your life with blessings beyond your wildest imagination. A land flowing with milk and honey. But if you want to live your own life, if you want to do your own thing, then right here he uses the same Hebrew word. It's a life that pines away. And, and I've seen it. I've been a Christian now for 34 years and I've seen people some that are sincere, some that are faithful, some that stay the course, and others who don't. You know, because we, you know, we, these things are written so that you don't sin. But if you do, understand God will forgive. This book really is about a new start. Look at verse 10. It says, The hands of the compassionate woman have cooked their own children. They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. I mean, I don't know, honestly. I don't know if it gets any worse than this. You know, but I've seen it in the world that we live in. And I haven't seen this, but I've seen, or we're going to see it as we continue through our study today. Just the, the devastating consequences to, you know, these children because of what their parents have done or neglected to do. Parents aren't praying for their kids. Parents aren't bringing their kids to church service. Parents aren't loving their children. Parents aren't, you know, trying to be a witness to them. Parents aren't pouring into them. What happens to the kids? Here, it's the epitome of it. They end up eating their children. Imagine that. 
But that's what happened. Jeremiah writes about it. If you go back to Lamentations chapter 2, Notice what it says in in verse 10. It says, The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground and keep silence. They throw dust on their heads and gird themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem bow their heads to the ground. If you look at verse 20 of chapter 2, it says, See, O Lord, and consider to whom have you done this, Should the women eat their offspring, the children they have coddled? Should the priest and prophet be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? This was a fulfillment of prophecy. Leviticus 26, 14. It says, but if you do not obey me, God says, and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes or if your soul abhors my judgment so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. And he says later in the same chapter, verse 29, you shall eat the flesh of your sons and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. Something basically repeated in Deuteronomy 28:53, because Deuteronomy is a repetition of the law. And then even in Jeremiah's day. So this was written by Moses back in his day. You fast forward all the way to the life of Jeremiah and he warned them as well. It says in 19 verse 9 of Jeremiah, and I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and then the flesh of their daughters and everyone shall eat the flesh of his friend in the siege and in the desperation with which their enemies and those who seek their lives shall drive them to despair. And I don't know, you know, what the consequences of your continued sin will be. But understand that that sin, it always brings consequences. You don't see it right away because you plant it in the ground. But eventually, you reap what you sow. And this is why I try, and you guys got to have it in your heart. Hopefully, you're okay with a message that says, hey, man, you know, love the Lord. You know, try not to sin. I mean, we're going to because we're human. We're still on this side of time. But we should try not to. This is what we see here. God, God one of the things that you, you got to know is that God keeps all of his promises. And this is what we see. He told them, if you do this, then that's going to happen. Look what it says in verse 11 here. It says, the Lord has fulfilled his fury. He has poured out his fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion and it has devoured, notice, its foundations. So not just the home of the wealthy or the big, you know, fancy buildings or the palace or the temple. No, we went, we're talking about how they went in and they cleaned house to the point where they devoured the foundations. That's why when they went back to rebuild the temple, they had to lay a brand new foundation. This is how deep the devastation will be to those who continue in sin, continue, and it's just we're talking about years and years of resisting God. And I don't know how long it will be for individuals. Only God knows the line. But I like, again, what Henry Morris said. He said, the utter degradation to which long-continued rebellion against God can lead. And that's the key. You know, you're like, well, yeah, Manny, I've been doing this, you know, for, you know, 20 years, and I'm still fine and I'm still alive and things are, are, are cool. Yeah, but how do you know that the line isn't between 20 and 21? And you're telling me that the Holy Spirit has been telling you to change for two decades 
and you haven't, there needs to be a healthy fear of God in our life. You know, Henry Morris also said, America, the most privileged nation in history, urgently needs to return to God before God's judgment falls on her as well. Because you would think, oh, this could never happen to America. Well, they thought that about Jerusalem as well. Look what it says in verse 12. The kings of the earth and all inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. I mean, no one thought it could happen to them, especially in the pinnacle of their power when Solomon was reigning, was astonishing. And it's interesting to me here how he mentions the adversary and the enemy. You guys know what the meaning of Satan, that name is? Satan means adversary. And so if this is taken in its most literal sense, it would mean that Satan himself was allowed to enter the gates of Jerusalem. Well, how was he allowed to enter the gates of Jerusalem? Who forgot to lock the door? It was the sin. It was the sin. God loves us, so he warns us and he commands us to be holy. You know, Judas played with sin. He kept playing with sin. He was there for three and a half years with Jesus. And he just continued to play with sin until one day Satan entered him. What will you do? What will that person do? Maybe someone's watching online and they're just kind of playing games with God. What will you do when Satan comes into your life? Do you think you can fight that? No. And this is what happened to them. Satan the enemy came in to those gates. So you see the defeated people of Jerusalem, the siege of the city, but then you see the reasons for the siege. Notice again in verse 13, because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in her midst the blood of the just. Now Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 30 says they killed the prophets of God. Jesus also mentioned this in Matthew 23, 31. Why did the religious leaders, why did those church folks kill the prophets? Because the prophets told them to change. The prophets told them to seek God. The prophets told them to turn from their sin or judgment would come. And what did they do? They killed the prophets. And this is what we see. You guys, this, this blood, it's there It's it's interesting what happens to the religious leaders. Look at verse 14. They wandered blind in the streets and they have defiled themselves with blood so that no one would touch their garments. Really, the blood was the murder that they had committed at the end of the day. They cried out to them. And this more than likely happened during the siege, you know, because prior to the siege, everybody's listening to the false prophets and the false priests who don't even know God. Oh, you know, God's not going to judge us. But then after the siege, and they're there for a year, believe you me, these priests and prophets, they're not esteemed by the people any longer. They themselves even know that they're bad. Look, it says in verse 15, then they they cried to them, go away, unclean, go away, go away, do not touch us. These spiritual leaders knew they were lepers. When they fled and wandered, those among the nations said, they shall no longer dwell here. The face of the Lord scattered them. He, He no longer regards them. The people do not respect the priests nor show favor to the elders. 
And it can happen to a pastor, it can happen to a priest, it can happen to anybody. What we see right there is what we saw in John chapter 9. The spiritual leaders were blind. And they're wandering through the streets and they're blind. They can't see God, they can't hear God. And eventually it caught up to them to where they knew, I'm a leper, no one respected them. And what we find right here is this blindness it can happen in that they, they can't see God. It can also happen in you're looking to the wrong places. They were looking to Egypt for help. Look what it says in verse 17. Still, our eyes failed us, watching vainly for our help. In our watching, we watched for a nation that could not save us. That's in reference to Egypt. So, so just in case you're here tonight and you're looking to man, to answer your problems or to just you know rescue you, don't. God is sufficient. Look to God. Don't look to Egypt. Verse 18 says, they tracked our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our, our end was near. Our days were over for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles of the heavens, there are certain eagles that can travel 200 miles per hour. You don't, you don't run that fast. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles of the heavens. They pursued us on the mountains and lay in wait for us in the wilderness. And verse 20 is really interesting. The breath of our nostrils. Because isn't it so cool how God always weaves in hope? Even in the midst of wrath, there's mercy. Look at verse 20. The breath of our nostrils, the anointed of the Lord, was caught in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. Now, there's two possibilities. Verse 20 may be simply in reference to King Zedekiah. But let me just ask you a question. Look at verse 20. It says, the breath breath of our nostrils. The breath of our nostrils. What does that remind you of? It reminds me of Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And so when, when you read the breath of our nostrils, you kind of think of God who actually breathed into our nostrils that's when we were created, right? And then verse 20, look what it says again, the breath of our nostrils. Notice it says, the anointed of the Lord. Now again, it might be in reference to King Zedekiah because he was a king, but was he really anointed? Was he really anointed? No, he he wasn't really anointed. Although he was a king, what you find is when you look, think of the anointed of the Lord, some people actually see verse 20 as a reference to Christ. That he's the one that that breathed breath into our nostrils. That he is the anointed of the Lord and that he went with them even in the pain. Even in captivity, God was with them. It looked as if he'd forsaken them in that sense, but of course we know the Lord protected them, didn't he? I mean, today we see the nation of Israel still alive. And so God here, interesting, probably in reference to Jesus. Look at verse 21. It says, Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom. 
you who dwell in the land of us. And so now we know more or less where Job was from, where, where Edom ended up being. Anyways, it says, the cup shall also pass over to you and you shall become drunk and make yourself naked. The punishment of your iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. He will no longer send you into captivity. He will punish your iniquity, O daughter of Edom. He will uncover your sins. And so when um, Jerusalem was conquered by the Babylonians, Edom was allotted the rural areas of Judah by King Nebuchadnezzar. You can read that in the book of Obadiah. You can read that in Ezekiel 25. And so when the, the Jews were conquered, these Arabs celebrated. Kind of like, you guys remember what happened in 9-11? Do you remember what the Arab nations did? Do you remember how they celebrated? Did you see what they did on October 7th? when Israel was invaded by Hamas? Did you see the way they celebrated? Well, this is what we see right here. Edom celebrated. They celebrated. But God said, listen, um, you you go ahead and celebrate. My people, they're going to be punished, but I'm going to bring them back. But you, Edomites, God said, I'm going to judge. And so, you know, looking at these things, we'll go through the next chapter real quick. It says in verse 1, after looking at the defeated people of Jerusalem, we now begin with more or less the prayer for the people. Jeremiah says, Remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. Look and behold our reproach, our, our shame. Our inheritance has been turned over to aliens and our houses to foreigners. We become orphans and, and waifs. And that's in reference to a homeless person neglected or abandoned especially a child imagine being in that situation he says our our mothers are are like widows we pay for the water we drink literally in the hebrew it says we drink our water for silver imagine having to you know exchange silver for water something unheard of back then nowadays i know we do it all the time you're like hey you know but if you guys saw the leave it to beaver episode where he sold the water any of you guys remember that one you got to see it. It was funny, you know, because, I mean, to sell water, it was unheard of. But here they are, the Jews in their own land, paying for water, paying for wood. It says right here, and our wood comes at a price. They pursue at our heels. We labor and have no rest. Imagine that for a moment. Have you ever dug a hole? I mean, the, the, the hard work of digging a hole you know, and you get so tired. Well, what if you had to keep digging that hole? They, they were laboring. There was no rest. We have given our hand to the Egyptians and the Assyrians to be satisfied with bread. Our fathers sinned and are no more, but we bear their iniquities. Remember, we're talking about how a lot of the, the responsibility was because the parents had not handed down the faith to their children servants rule over us there is none to deliver us from their hand we get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness our skin is hot as an oven because of the fever of famine they ravished the women in zion and the maidens in the cities of judah now again again i ask you does it get any worse than this? 
to see the women ravished and waped and the virgins and the maidens by these soldiers? This is what sin does. This is why we must seek the Lord. You know, we read about this in Isaiah 13, 16, Zechariah 14, verse 12. It says in verse 12, princes were hung up by their hands and elders were not respected. You know, um, you know, hanging bodies after an execution was an added indignity. This is what they suffered. Young men, it says in verse 13, were ground at the millstones. This was something that normally the women would do, but this is the, the shame. Boys staggered under loads of wood. The elders have ceased gathering at the gate, and the young men from their, their music, you guys know how much we love music, Right? But imagine now, there's no, uh, none of our leadership is making any decisions for our people any longer. There's no, none of these guys at the gates and there's no music. Imagine that. The joy of our heart has ceased. Our dance has turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. In other words, you know, they wouldn't have a king. They're, they're not going to have a king until Jesus comes. They forfeited that. But he says to them there in verse 16, this is why, woe to us. Why? For we have sinned. Because of this, our heart is faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. Because of Mount Zion, which is desolate with foxes walking about on it. And so we read in verse 19, you, O Lord, remain. And and that word remain, it, it means to sit it means to rule. It's, a, it's, it's saying, God, you're on the throne. You're on the throne forever. Your throne from generation to generation. Why do you forget us forever and forsake us for so long a time? Turn us back to you. And to me, that's the, that's the key. Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are very angry with us. Now, real quick, as we close here, I don't want to cut this one because it's so important what we see here at the end right here. When you're praying, it's always good to remind yourself who you're praying to. Okay, we are praying to the one who sits on the throne and he will always sit on the throne we're praying to him we have to understand that articulate it contemplate it remind ourselves. here they felt forgotten forsaken but of course we knew and of course i think he knew that it was something that their sins had heaped upon themselves but there in verse 21 where he says turn us back to you to me that's the key I'll be honest with you. You know, we can't do this on our own strength. Maybe you're here today and you know that you're not right with God. You just know you are. And, and you know, you, you, you know, you're here and, 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 you know, what do I do? Pray this prayer. Turn me back to you, God. Turn me back to you. Because I can't do this on my own strength. I need your assistance Even in that, it's a beautiful prayer. You know, they needed it. We will need God's touch in order to turn. 
You know, if they did, notice in verse 21, what ends up happening, it says, turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. He says, renew our days as in the days of old. And of course, we know what the Jews did and what God did in their history. You know, we here at Calvary Chapel, you know, we know what what God did in our history, and I think it's okay to compare it. I think it's okay to hunger for that. I think it's okay to thirst. And really, you can look at any whatever denomination or whatever it is you want to call it. There was a time when the Holy Spirit was moving in a powerful way. Otherwise, there would be nothing there, but God did this work. And so here we are, Lord, turn us back to you because you can bring restoration and you can bring it in such a way that it's, it's new and it's fresh, you know, better than, than ever. You know, for the Jews, God would work towards the restoration of a nation. They would be restored and renewed. You know, it's interesting. That word renewed is used in Psalm 5110, creating me a clean heart, renew a steadfast spirit within me. The word repair is used in Isaiah 61.4, what God would do with his people. And this is what he will do with you. You know, we're, we're a church, we're a congregation tonight. There's a general, you know, thing going on here. But in the midst of the general thing that's going on, there is a personal thing going on. There is a personal work of the Holy Spirit in everyone's life, in each and every one of your lives. And, and if you're here and you need a new start, you know, you pray that prayer, turn me back to you, Lord, restore me, renew me, you know, make me like John the Baptist. Make me like Joan the Baptist, I don't know. Make me like Jesus. I know, Lord, I'm only one, and I know I'm not much, but Lord, I give you my life. Change me, use me, help me. If we do this, it's so cool what God does you know, God is able to renew and repair, restore, make us brand new and so that we can experience a new start. Believe it or not, he can even give us a new heart. One day we're going to get a new name and we know that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that's what God desires. And the Bible says in Psalm 30 verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You know, there in in Lamentations uh, chapter 5, I want to close with this. Look what it says in Lamentations 5, verse 15. The joy of our heart has ceased. Our dance has turned into mourning. Okay, so I want you guys to be honest here real quick. Remember, we're in church. Can you dance? You guys... How many of you here are pretty good dancers? I'm just curious. Some of you guys are good dancers. I've seen Malachi. Amazing, amazing dancers, right? Some of us can't dance. I try. My wife tells me, hey, man, don't think about it. Just, you know, don't. I try not to think about it. Nothing happens, man. But you want to know something? I think it's because I live in a fallen body. Something about my body is messed up. But one day, I'm going to dance like Malachi. I'm going to dance. 
right here. It's kind of cool because what he says right here in Lamentations 5.15, he says, you, you turned my, my, my dancing is turned into mourning. But let's close with Psalm 30, verse 11. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have put my sackcloth off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. This is what happens when you follow Jesus Christ. And so I pray that we would do nothing less than that. This personal relationship that we have with Him, follow the Lord wholeheartedly and watch what He does.